Christmas, everybody, yeah, good, good. Okay, let me just tell you something real quick. If you haven't seen that movie, do yourself a favor and go, like, download that movie, go buy it on Amazon, like, whatever you need to do, but go watch, go watch that movie. It's hilarious. It's a perfect Christmas movie. Actually, I tend to watch it. I've watched it in, like, non-Christmas times, like in July or whatever, just because it's so funny, but it really does paint a funny picture. There's this one scene that I want to show you here as we get started, and it's, it's the main character. His name is Clark W. Griswold, right? And Clark, uh, he's, um, he, he, he has a, a hard time uh, not getting caught up in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, and he really gets himself into some really funny situations. And one of those funny situations that he gets himself into, he's trying to hide a, a, a package in the attic, right? So he pulls the door down. It's like one of those old houses that has the, the ladder that comes down out of the ceiling. He pulls the, the door out of the ceiling, and he climbs up there, and he's trying to find an, and hide a, you know, a, a package. And his wife, not knowing that he's up there, closes the door and locks him in the attic. And then the f- whole family all goes out to go shopping and traps Clark in the attic. And then, um, well, let's, let's just, let's watch the clip and then I'll, I'll, yeah, talk about it more. that clip. Um, and, and you might be wondering, if you haven't seen the movie, why is he in, like, um, old ladies' clothes? Uh, it, because he's freezing in his attic, and so that's the only clothes he can find. So he finds a little head thing, and, and the, the scarf, and the, you know, and the gloves. And, and so here, here's the thing, you know, again, if you've seen this movie, you know that Clark gets caught up a lot in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, like I said before. He's so concerned about getting the lights done um, on his house, uh, the perfect gift for his wife, uh, keeping his crazy brother-in-law. Remember, um, it's, it's Randy Quaid who plays his crazy brother-in-law. You know, get, keeping him out of trouble, finding the perfect Christmas tree, actually twice, um, and, uh, and, you know, and then for sure trying to make his whole family happy. 
and, uh, and he forgets really what Christmas is all about until that moment when he's in the attic. And he's, he's, reminded, of his, he's reminded of his childhood and the joy that came just from the Christmas season. And that's what we're talking about today is joy. That's what we're going to be focusing on. See, he remembers what's really important about Christmas and this Christmas season and the joy that it can bring. And unfortunately, a lot of times I can relate to Clark Griswold, right? I can totally relate to him. I find myself, especially during this season, for many reasons, just, just missing what this time of year is all about especially when it comes to joy. Personally, uh, for me, this holiday season so far, and I know we're only a few weeks into it, but for this holiday season, for me personally, I'm, I'm either like filled with exuberance amount, exuberant amounts of joy or I have zero joy. And I, like, I hate everything and I'm going home and I'm just going to tuck myself in to my bed and just, you know, whatever. Like, it's like there's no middle ground, right? Uh, and, and see, joy is a, is, a, is a funny thing because joy is not happiness. It's, it's not uh, pleasure, Rick Warren says that happiness is dependent on what's happening, right? And joy, joy is much more than that. It is much deeper than that. Joy is something that is birthed out of hope. Joy is something that is birthed out of, out of faith. And, and we have to be careful this time of year especially to not get caught up in all the Christmas shenanigans and totally push Jesus and God out of the picture. See, when we put... Uh, our foundation on, on all those other things that we think are important this time of year, um, and, and we place all of our joy, you know, into that basket, well, that can be uh, squelched pretty quickly if any one of those things doesn't um, come to, you know, doesn't work out for us. And it can totally steal our joy if the Christmas lights don't work, if the tree doesn't look the best way. You know what I mean? Like those, those types of things. So we've got to be careful. And literally, the floor can be pulled out from underneath us and steal the joy that we should be trying to experience this Christmas season. So, how can I experience real joy this Christmas? Turn the Christmas grind into the Christmas miracle. And it's so true, right? Christmas is a grind. And I'm quite certain that that's not what Christmas is all about. But if you've ever worked in retail, who's ever worked in retail? You know that retail, like November 1st, Christmas happens. And then there, you know, people are being hired for for holiday, you know, hours and more people, you know, because we got to fill the stores because they've got to, you know, they open all kinds of crazy hours. And, you know, you go to Costco and the day after Halloween, all the Christmas stuff comes out. And it's, it's very easy to make Christmas a grind and forget that Christmas is about a miracle, a, a miracle, the miracle of Jesus Christ and, and his birth. It's the ultimate miracle for all of humanity. And yet we can oftentimes push Jesus right out of the Christmas season and place, again, our joy in, in those baskets where, they don't necess- where it shouldn't necessarily be. So we're going to be in this, the book of Luke for the next few weeks, which is fun because we've been in the book of Ephesians for quite some time. And, and so now we're, we're done with the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Luke. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Luke 1, I know this says 1, 5 through 7, but I'm actually going to start uh, at, you know, right at verse 1. Um, I want to give you a little intro as you're doing that, as you're turning your Bibles there, uh, give you a little intro as to who Luke was. Luke was a, phys- a physician. Um, pr- Luke probably wasn't a Jew, but he was a Gentile, which is kind of neat because then he brings, the, he brings a non-Jewish perspective to Jesus' story. Um, he was a companion of Paul, and most likely uh, he accompanied Paul on quite a few of his missionary journeys. Along with the book of Luke, which he wrote, he also wrote the book of Acts, and Acts is, uh, actually, biblical scholars will say that Luke and Acts 
uh, go, could go right next to each other in the Bible. It's not the way it's done in the Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts to keep the Gospels in there. But Luke wrote it in such a way where it can flow, Luke one uh, right out of the other into Acts. Um, and so we can, well, let's read this together. And again, I'm going to start with the first four v- verses here. Uh, it, it's important. I mentioned he was a physician, and, and this is important. Uh, listen, you can hear kind of, he's very meticulous. Luke is very meticulous in his details, which is good. You want meticulous detail, you know, someone who's meticulous with their details if they're a physician, right? You don't want them just being like, oh, I think it's, the, you know, it's like, no, you want somebody that's paying attention to the details in your physician. So Luke's doing his job here. So Luke 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of these things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those uh, who from, sorry, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So pause there for a moment. We don't really know who Theophilus is, but yet Luke, uh, for some reason, feels like he needs to, to write this book. And again, it's, it's to make sure that he is certain of the things that he has been taught. Again, going back to that meticulous nature of Luke. Continue reading in, in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, it's important to note here that Herod, uh, while he is the king, he's a Roman-appointed king. He's not a Jew. And so, therefore, he plays to Roman favor. And he definitely doesn't have the Jews' best interest in mind. Continuing in verse 5, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So in today's terms, that'd be like pastor's kids, right? You've got the little PKs. That, that, that's the, the generations and generations and generations of priests that came out of Zechariah and Elizabeth's family, all the way back to Aaron, who was the first priest. priest. Continuing on in verse 6, Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. See, from a godly standpoint and a Jewish standpoint, they were doing everything right. They were the cream of the crop. They were the best of the best. Uh, They followed the law to a T. Continuing in verse 7, But they were childless, because Elizabeth could not conceive, and they were both very old. So there's no hope for them to have children. Time is up. And I, I want to, as we, as we think about that last verse there, um, that, that, that Elizabeth was not able to conceive, I, wanna, I want us to dive into the culture of, of, of the Israelites during the, this time. See, because culturally today, that's not what a woman's value is, right? Women have so much more value. But in this culture, in this time period, uh, a woman's value was held on if she could, she could bear children. And actually, barrenness was a sign of being cursed, uh, and, and it brought real shame on a woman if she couldn't conceive a child, which is crazy, right? Because we know it takes two to tango, right? And so it's one of those things where why does it all fall on the woman? But for whatever reason, in this culture, in this time period, that's where it, a woman's main value was to have children. If she couldn't, then she was shamed. Um, so again, I want to make sure that that's, that's cultural for that time. It's not, it's not necessarily even biblical, you know? Um, even though it's in the Bible, it's not, it's not a biblical principle. Women are valued very highly in the Bible, um, it's crazy, though, when we're talking about culture. Like, if, think about it this way. Like, co- that time period, culture, they believed that if you, if you had any kind of an ailment at all, if you had leprosy, if you were blind, if you were deaf, uh, it was all due to sin, and either your sin or the sin of one of your parents. Do you remember the, the passage in, in John, in John 9, when Jesus is having the interaction with the man born blind? It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, 
Rabbi, speaking to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And it's funny because Jesus kind of goes, look, you knuckleheads, haven't you been listening to anything I've been saying? No, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, Jesus said. But this happened, catch this, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then what does Jesus go and do? He gets down on his knees and he spits in the dirt and he makes some mud and he rubs it through his hands. And then he goes and he places it on the eyes of the blind man. And then he tells the blind man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man does. And the man can see for the first time in his life. And then we fast forward a few verses. And this, this man who was born blind but can now see is, is, is under, uh, he's testifying to all the religious leaders who are wondering what in the world is going on. Who created this miracle? Who um, was the one who helped this man to see for the first time in his life? And, and, and after some in- intense questioning, this man says this in, in, in verse 25. Whether he is a sinner or not, talking about Jesus, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That is the works of God displayed in him, just as Jesus said. And that's exactly, when we jump back into our Luke text today, what's going on here with Zechariah and with Elizabeth. All right, so spoiler alert. Um, Yeah, the works of God are going to be displayed in them, um, but they don't know that at this point. Despite that, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are good people. And despite not, you know, they they didn't maybe, they had a, a good life, but there was one piece missing, that piece of not being able to have a child but they were still devoted to God's promise and his plan. And actually, they were a part of a long line of Israelites who were faithful to God, regardless of whether or not they got to see God's promise of the Messiah fulfilled. Here's the thing. Being a good person doesn't guarantee a life without difficulties. Remember we just read, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. See, difficulties, they just come with the territory. And life sometimes can be cruelly unfair. Most, most of us in this room are good people, right? Most of us in this room are good people. I say most because I know a couple of you, and I'm like, eh, jury's still out. I'm just kidding. That wasn't nice. That wasn't very nice. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. Um, but <laughs> seriously, though. Um, but but <laughs> I say that because, all you know, again, most of us are good people. And, and we all, though, have difficulties in our life. I heard one of our, our campus directors this week as we were in sermon prep um, talking about this weekend say this, Disappointment is inevitable, but being discouraged is a choice. So how do you choose to view the difficulties in your life? When life seems to throw curveball after curveball after curveball at you, how do you react and bounce back? And it might not be fair, because none of us are promised a fair life, though. And life might not be fair. So how do we overcome those times in our lives? Well, we accept that life isn't always fair. Life wasn't fair for Zachariah and Elizabeth, even though they were incredibly faithful, even though they did everything that they were supposed to do. There was again this hole, this peace missing in their lives. They wanted a child. And now they're at the point where that doesn't seem like it's going to happen because they're too old. They're beyond the age of childbearing. Even though they were faithful to him year after year after year, that wasn't fair. And as I mentioned before, this is a really big deal in the culture and context of this time. 
And I, I can't help but wonder if for both Zachariah and Elizabeth, you know, as, as, they're, as they're childless, if they, if they didn't have those in those quiet, dark moments where they ask God, God, why not? Why not? Haven't I been faithful? Haven't I done everything that you said and asked me to do? I know for me that's, that happens. You know, when, when difficulties or something doesn't seem fair and, and I go like, God, okay, I've been working so hard. I've been doing everything that you have asked me to do, so why is this happening? And yet, Scripture doesn't ever indicate that Zechariah or Elizabeth, faith or joy, ever wavered. And they chose, maybe on a moment-by-moment basis, to keep their eyes and their hearts firmly focused on God and His plan. And during this Christmas season, it's incredibly easy to lose focus of what's important. Things like joy, as I mentioned before, can be squelched pretty quickly if our focus is in the wrong place. So how do we, how do we combat that? How do we make sure that our, that our focus is in the right place and we don't allow someone or something to steal our joy? Well, we make God the focus of my Christmas season. See, buying gifts, um, planning meals, attending parties, working long hours to, to take, make sure you've got enough time to take off, uh, getting caught up in all of the trappings that happen at Christmas can cause us to really crowd God out of the Christmas picture. And none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad at all. I don't, I don't want you don't want to come across as like I'm a Scrooge or anything like that. No, none of those things are bad. But when we look to find our joy in those things, especially during the Christmas season, any one of those things could let you down in a big way. And again, like Clark Griswold, the proverbial attic door can be opened up at any time unexpectedly, and life comes crashing down because we've put all of the weight of our focus on things that potentially could let you down. Things like, I don't know if you've ever seen this message on Amazon, uh, item usually ships within two to three weeks. Yeah, uh, this is the gift that my kid wants but the item doesn't ship for two to three weeks. And so then you look at like, okay, maybe it'll get here before Christmas. No, not a chance. January 2nd. You're like, ah, that doesn't do me any good. That can totally be one of those things. Um, Or the oven breaks, right? The oven breaks. And you're planning, you know, you've got people coming over. You've got parties that are going to happen. You know, you're going to have to use your oven. So the oven breaks, and that's an unexpected cost. And none of us need those around Christmas time. And so who's not getting a gift now? I'm just kidding. Who's not getting a gift now because you've got to buy a new oven? Or you're throwing an outdoor Christmas party. And there's rain in the forecast. Difficulty, yes. Not fair, yes. But where is our focus? Where is your focus? Sometimes we get so stuck focusing on the internal that we forget to look outward and see what it is that God is doing in and around us. So here's a, here's a practical way uh, for you to keep God the focus uh, uh, this Christmas season. It's kind of fun. Um, the book of Luke actually has 24 chapters in it. So you could start today reading chapter 1, which we've read through most of it, so I've already given you a head start, right? You could start today reading chapter 1, and you could read a chapter every single day leading up until Christmas, and you'd end on Christmas, and you'd get the full scope of Jesus's life here on earth. That's a good way to keep focused um, during this Christmas season. Let's continue back into our passage here, Luke 1, 8 through 13. Follow along with me. Once Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Just pausing there for a moment, this was a big deal. This was a big deal. He was going into the Holy of Holies. He had to be completely clean in the sight of God. 
and he was going to burn this incense as an offering to the Lord, and it was a great honor to get to do this. And so here's Zechariah, he's been chosen. And when the time came for the burning of the incense came, or when the time, sorry, when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And an angel of the Lord then appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. So I'm going to take, a, I'm going to take this passage, and I'm going to move sideways on it. It's a little bit of a sideways thought, so follow along with me just for a moment. Um, do you ever wonder if this is kind of a risky way for God um, to, to approach Zechariah? Like, he's in this space, and it's this quiet place, you know, or whatever, and, and then he, he, I mean, the Bible, we just got done reading that, that Zachariah was old. In fact, he was very old, and if I know something about older folks, I have a couple parents who are older, they're seasoned, I guess you could say, maybe, uh, more experienced, but you don't startle them, right? You don't scare them, and so then here's God, and he sends this angel, and, and it startles him, and he's gripped with fear, and I'm just kind of thinking to myself, God, did you think that through all the way? What if he had had a heart attack, you know? And I guess, I guess God, in his all-knowingness, he would have, it, it, it was fine, I'm sure, um, but, but here's the thing, that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were faithful with everything that God had entrusted them to. And then God had this amazing message that he wanted to get Zechariah, and so he wanted to make sure that he had Zechariah's full attention. And so the angel comes and speaks to him and shares this amazing news. And so that's the thing. Whenever, um, wherever you find yourself in Christmas, in the Christmas season, ask God to use you. This is something that Zechariah and Elizabeth did very, very well throughout their entire lives. And now God has brought this amazing blessing of a child into their lives. For us, this means that, that God can use me uh, in the places uh, where I can serve, in places that I can hear him speak about someone else's needs, just being open and willing and available to be used by God. And then when we do that, when we're open to those things, don't be surprised when God actually shows up. See, if you're asking God to use you for his purposes this Christmas season, don't be surprised when he actually answers your prayers. Now, I know I told you not to be, you know, that, that uh, not to be surprised when God answers your prayers. And then, but then I think Zechariah, if, if anybody, had a, a reason to be surprised or startled or gripped with fear. I mean, again, uh, hello, there's not an angel here, and I'm in this quiet place that's supposed to be this just holy by myself, and then there's not an angel here, and now there's an angel here, and the angel's speaking to me, and, you know, I don't remember hitting my head. Like, you know, it's like, you've got to imagine that this is incredible for Zechariah. This is one of those things, those experiences, where, you know, he's been walking with the Lord for so many years, but yet the Bible doesn't say that he ever had an experience with an angel in this place that's supposed to be just him and God. Can you imagine what that would be like for Zechariah? And, and while it says that, that he was gripped with fear, um, you know, I think Zechariah was in the practice, probably, of normalizing experiences with God. And if we normalize experience with God, perhaps we won't be so astonished when he actually comes through for us. We normalize our time with God and we are asking God to show us his perspective versus our perspective. Then perhaps we won't be so astonished when he actually comes through for us and shows us something bigger than ourselves. And I believe for this reason that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were chosen for this purpose. They were chosen to give birth to the one, John the Baptist, who was going to prepare the way for Jesus himself and all of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it was because of their incredible unwavering faith. And even though their lives up to this point hadn't looked like, 
you know, what they had thought. They still chose joy. They still chose faith. They still chose hope. And so when we choose those things, watch for God's answers to my prayers. This passage says that, you know, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. For years and years and years, they've been praying for a child. And now, when it seems impossible, when it seems impossible, God shows up and says, no, your prayers have been heard. That's kind of an encouragement for us to never, like, never stop praying for the things that God places on our hearts. And we might not get to see them come to fruition. We might not get to see the answers of those prayers. But that's not, maybe not our, our role. Our role is to get on our knees and to pray and to ask God for those things that he's placed on our heart. Again, with prayer, though, it, it also presumes that, that we are indeed praying to God and asking him for the things that, that we really need, not even necessarily the things we want, the things we really need. And when we're praying like that, we can celebrate the everyday miracles. Because we're seeing things through God's perspective. Now, it's pretty obvious that this is not an everyday miracle with Zachariah and Elizabeth. This is a big deal. Um, but my point here is this. When we are praying with God's, within God's purposes— we are going to experience God in ways that we never thought that we could. We're going to start seeing things more clearly. The miracles, the everyday miracles that God is doing around us. I, I mean, I can just attest to that this week especially. This band up here this week, um, it's a miracle. And, I'm, and I, I'm not going to get into the details of it. But like, as of Tuesday, there wasn't a band. <laughs> Pretty much, there was only a couple pieces. And the way that God came together and did some things this week in only a way that he could, because believe me, I was pushing hard to get my way and to get my, you know, just to insert myself into here. There was a moment, there was a time where it was probably going to be me playing guitar and then stepping down on stage and preaching and then going back up and playing guitar, right? I mean, that's where we were in a bit of a dire place, right? But God worked miracles, move people's schedules around, to make people available that weren't available. And it was incredible to watch unfold. My wife and I we were talking about it a bunch this week, especially as, the, as it got later into the week. Let's continue in our passage. Last few verses here that we're going to look at today. Starting in verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Talking about John to Zachariah and Elizabeth. And I want to pause here for just a moment because it, isn't it awesome how God works sometimes? In spite of this huge thing that God is doing where he's, he's preparing the way for his son Jesus and all the earthly ministry, he, he, he takes a moment and he says, he will be a joy and delight to you. See, he wants to bless Zachariah and Elizabeth even before he shares with them the plan for what John is going to do for the kingdom of God. He wants to bless them for their faithfulness. Continuing in verse 14, And many will rejoice of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. See, John, again, is the one who's preparing the way for the Messiah, Jesus. In verse 16, we, he will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will um, go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, and turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So not only was John an answer to Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer, he was also a major part in showing God's plan to all of the Israelites and then eventually to all of humanity. So I want to give us some encouragements from this passage today. Um, some, yeah, oops. Oh, boy. 
Okay. Hang on. There we go. Jump the gun. Enjoy the gift of family. See, Zachariah and Elizabeth, for the first time, were about to experience life as a family where it was more than just the two of them. That's a big deal. And you better believe that they were going to enjoy that gift. Your son will be a joy and a delight to you. And I understand that family looks very different for, for many of us, right? For some of us, the idea of, ex- of spending extended time with our family members around the Christmas season honestly makes us stick, sick to our stomach. I mean, if you've seen the rest of Christmas Vacation, the movie paints a perfect picture of what outlandish family behavior can can look like, right? And it can really very quickly ruin Christmas for you if you're not careful. So here's the thing. We can often focus all of our attention on the challenges of being with family during Christmas, or we could choose to be intentional to enjoy our family during the Christmas season. And here's the thing, it, 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 might, it might take a bunch of work, and it for sure is going to take a bunch of prayer before, during, and after. But maybe try that approach this year. Try that approach. Try to see if you can be more intentional to enjoy your family and the family around you. And honestly, so if, if that doesn't work, then you can come back here and you can punch Steve in the arm because he's the one that made me preach this message this week. I'm just kidding. No, um, no, but seriously, like, I mean, I mean it sounds kind of silly, but we can... Like, what if we just said, okay, God, you know the situation of my family. You know the circumstances around my, you know the dysfunction that happens in my family. God, you know my heart when it comes to my family. So God, will you, you know, that's where you ask, God, are are you big enough to come into that situation? Are you big enough to come into that, that circumstance and those family dynamics? Try it and see if you can enjoy the gift of, of family this year. Another encouragement from this passage is, is to share your gifts in a way that blesses others. And many will rejoice because of his birth. This is probably my favorite thing about the Christmas season. As Steve and Claire mentioned in the announcements before, we've, we, we took on four uh, Christmas outreaches this year. Uh, the, you know, the first one that we're doing coming up on the 13th uh, is that San Diego police and San Diego fire. We're just going to feed them tacos and we're going to get them all hopped up on sugary, you know, shave ice and it's going to be awesome. Some of the officers from last year were actually asking the lieutenant, hey, is that church going to come and, and do that Christmas thing again this year for us? And, and when, the, when I asked the lieutenant about him, you could just tell he was just bubbling over with joy. He was so excited that this was going to happen. Um, and, and for us, this is... This is just a way that we can say thank you. This is a way that we can say that we appreciate the things that you, that you do. We appreciate that you put your life on the line. I mean, I think a lot of times, folks, we forget that these police officers are real people. I mean, you look at like next door neighbor or sometimes you read articles in the news and it's like, man, the police officers did this, the police officers didn't do this, the police officers don't do the bird scooters. And it's just like all these things that we complain about, and we forget that these are real people with real families, with real struggles, with real, you know, uh, they're real. We actually have a lady in our complex um, who, whose husband was a police officer and was killed in the line of duty a few years ago. And then I sang at her son's memorial because he committed suicide after his father's death. Like, these are real people struggling with real things. These people have taken a, an oath to serve and to protect us. And I feel like as a church, it's the least we can do to just give them some tacos and some shave ice and to say thank you. You know, the other, one of the other ones that we're doing is the homeless sock uh, blanket and jacket drive for, for the OB, out in OB. 
which um, I, was, I was super convicted about this week. I don't wear shoes, you know, at all, but yet I have a drawer full of socks, like a full drawer full of socks, um, and, and I'm like, why can't I just give some of those socks away? That's so, dis- that's so weird. Like, they're, most of them are brand new. They're clean, you know, <laughs> like, because I don't wear shoes. Again, 95%, even when it rained on Wednesday or whatever, I was wearing these shoes because they have a higher lip on them, so I could, you know, like, get through the puddles, um, so, but I'm just saying, like, you know, and I know we all have blankets, and I know we have, you know, coats that we haven't worn in, in some time, and it's just such an easy thing to do, to bless somebody, to help somebody experience joy this Christmas by giving away some of our old stuff that we don't use anymore. Um, or the Syrian family Christmas dinner. We have the opportunity to, to, to get to know some, some refugees, some people from Syria who had to leave their country, who are now trying to figure out what life looks like in the United States. And I'm, I can't even imagine having to leave my home and start over completely in a, in a completely new land. And yet we have the opportunity to share conversation and to share a meal and hopefully share the joy of what Christmas is and the joy of having a relationship with Jesus. And then finally, we, we, we're doing our Christmas in a card thing again this year. And, and again, they, I made, they mentioned it in the announcements. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to share... Um, with you all, a, a letter that I got um, last year after we did our Christmas in a card thing. Um, I mentioned it in, in the weekly email uh, a couple weeks ago. By the way, uh, a little shout out to our weekly email. If you don't get our weekly email, um, we put one together every single week. And if I may say so myself, the person who writes it um, does a phenomenal job of putting it together. So, um, and then gets discouraged when he only sees that it's been opened by 18% of the people in the congregation of the 300 that are on the list. So um, a little pull back the curtain moment there. So if you want to get the weekly email or you're not getting in the weekly email, um, please let me know or fill out a connection card or just write your email address legibly on something. And I'll be sure to add you to that this week because it gives you all the information about what we're doing here at, at New Break PB. Um, so like I said, I mentioned that I, I, I wrote a little, or copied a little bit of this letter um, in the weekly email a couple weeks ago. But this, is, this, this came from a family who, who received our Christmas in a card last year. So I'm going to read it. It says, Dear New Break Church, Pacific Beach, your church is a godsend. The last few years have been incredibly difficult for my family. I'm a full-time student at City College working very hard and maintaining a good GPA. I'm a full-time mother and also a full-time wife. My husband and I have a family of five with only one income because he is supporting my efforts in pursuing my education. Our children are 6, 9, and 17. My husband brings in about $2,500 a month, and our expenses exceed that by a great deal every month. We have already exhausted all of my school financial aid to meet some of our obligations, and I didn't know if any scholarships were available, and we were scraping by at the end of every month. Somehow, some way, God pulls us through every month. We had no clue how God would, do, would come through for us in December. Someone at the school said that she was going to pass our information along to the church because they were selecting families to give a basket to. I was so grateful for that because I said to myself, at the very least, if we are selected, we will have dinner available for Christmas. I had already let my children know that gifts were not a possibility this year. When we received the phone call that we had been selected and our package was ready, I was so grateful. I expected to come up to the school and pick up a box of food with items in it that would provide my family a hearty Christmas dinner. Once I got to the school, we were given an envelope, and I thought to myself, this is interesting. Once I opened it, I was overjoyed because nothing like this had ever happened to us. And once again, God had shown himself to be a faithful God through your generosity. I cried tears of joy with my husband because not only would our family, 
Not only would my family share an amazing Christmas dinner together, but my children would also be able to receive some gifts as well, all because of your kindness. So to your church, our family says, thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate your kindness and your obedience in allowing God to lead with your heart. Friends, like, this is what it's all about. That is what it's all about. Sharing the joy that we have with others. Sharing the resources that we have that we often take for granted with others. And it's huge because it can bless people in ways that we will never, ever maybe even know. This was an incredible blessing to receive this gift or this letter last year. Actually, and even this year, I received two letters from families who we weren't, we weren't even supposed to know who they were that got our Thanksgiving packages. And we blessed them with, with Thanksgiving meal. I got two letters from, from families here at the school that were so grateful and so thankful for your generosity. So I want to leave you with this question. Where are you looking for your joy to come from this season? I know for me, when the, the craziness of the season eats its way into my, into my life and ekes its way into my, my heart and my quiet spaces, Joy oftentimes is, is, is pushed out. But then I read a story like Zachariah and Elizabeth. I, I read a story about faith and hope and joy in all circumstances. And it encourages me. It encourages me to remember to be sharing with others the joy that, that, that God has put in my heart, the joy that God has put in my life. And I would encourage you to do the same. In spite of our circumstances, in spite of our difficulties, we can still have a joy-filled Christmas when we keep God at the center of it. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for just allowing us to be here in this place. God, I thank you for the things that you are doing, um, the things that you're doing through this church, the ways that you're blessing your people, God, through this church. And God, as, as a people, I pray two things. One, I pray that, that we would be able to just experience your joy, the joy of this season, God, in, in new ways this year. And secondly, God, that we would be able to share that joy with just everybody that, that we come across, with every circumstance, with every situation, with every conversation, Lord, that we would just be able to share your joy with those people and the people you put in our lives. God, thank you for painting this picture of joy and what it looks like um, in your word. Thank you that we can be in a place where we can study and learn together. Thank you, God, that, uh, that you're a God that doesn't give up on us, even though we oftentimes forget you or we push you off to the side or we don't remember that you're there. Thank you for being a God who loves us so much, that cares about us so much you want us to experience the joy of a, of a relationship with you. These things we ask and we pray in your son's name. Amen. This morning, we, we have the opportunity to take communion. Um, and, and really, this is, a, this is a, I think this is a perfect way to start off this series. Because it's, it's through communion where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. We remember that, again, you know, if you read through the rest of the passage of Luke, you'll find towards the end 
where Jesus' life has taken a turn and now all of a sudden he's being placed on a cross. This time of year we focus on the birth, but really it's, 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 it's good to remember the whole picture, the big picture, that eventually a sacrifice had to be made and Jesus was going to die on the cross for you, for me. For the ugly stuff that's in your life, for the ugly stuff that's in my life. Jesus died for you. And so through that, we can experience the joy of a relationship with Jesus. We can experience the hope of a relationship with Jesus. We can experience the peace of a relationship with Jesus because of his sacrifice. This was God's plan from the beginning. As soon as sin entered the world, he came up with a plan. I've got to get the sin out of the world. I've got to get the sin out of my people. And there's only one way and it's for my son Jesus to give his life. So this morning as we take communion, we'll do that in, in, in remembrance of the sacrifice that he made. So when you're ready, the band's gonna lead through a song or part of a song. When you're ready, come on up to the tables, grab the elements, go sit back down, and then we'll take the elements together.
Corinthians 11:23 says for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks for it he he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's take the bread together passage goes on to say, and in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. If you call yourself a Christ follower, which I know looks different from many of us. You call yourself a Christ follower. This is the reason that we have joy this Christmas season. Let's do our best to remember the sacrifice that God made for us in his son, Jesus Christ. The band's gonna close us with a song. Would you stand?